0: Hi, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 16th of January 2019 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. It's been a bit damp here in Hong Kong this week, and it is winter, even if the temperatures aren't very low. Also, with the excesses of New Year's finally wearing off, we are starting to feel a tiny bit humid again, and almost ready to crawl out from our warm beds, sofa cocoons, and armchair forts. While we've been recuperating from 2018, though, many of us have had a chance to catch up on some reading, which brings me to Giselle's story and how language and literature moved her around the world. After Giselle's story, you can hear a story from Liars League Hong Kong with the title A Taste of Heaven by Giles Anderson. Before we hear the stories from today, though, thanks go out to our hometown listeners in Hong Kong. We are so grateful for your continued support. Thanks go out as well to our listeners in Godalming and Aberdeen in the UK, Stockholm in Sweden, Minna in Japan, and Berlin in Germany. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. Our next live show will be held at our usual venue at the Fringe Club on the 30th of January. Our storytellers are busy honing their skills and practicing their stories on the theme of new territories. Get tickets from the links on our website hongkongstories.com Hong Kong Stories. It's better than comedy. It's better than drama. It's real life. And now for my show with the theme of home in October 2018. Here is Giselle.
1: For which he waxed a little reed of sham. How soberlish he cast down his yen. Prisada gan all his share as bien. And so soft it in her heart sink. And that to herself, she said, who yaf me drink. Y'all confused, yeah? Because <laughs> I was. I took three medieval English classes when I was studying <laughs> master's degree. And I still don't know what I was reading. And you see, I was so bad at it that I have to write it down to remind myself this way. (laughs) Now, you may think, how did I start speaking this accent? And how did I get myself into this fucking mess? (laughs) I better backtrack a little. So, when I was a kid, I read lots of British children's stories. And home in those books were like small cottages in sunny streets that smelled like wild blackberries and and buttered pastries covered with fluffy melted marshmallows. Not this hot, crowded place where I had to strategize and squeeze between people just so I wouldn't get strolled over by someone's luggage. (laughs) So yeah, even though I was born and raised all my life here, Hong Kong has never been my home. My parents, like many from their generation, feared the unknown territory of the post-1997 handover. So they applied for and secured a British citizenship in the 1990s before I was even born. But my parents didn't really move to the UK though. They kept their lives and everything here in Hong Kong. But if anything were to happen to this place where we love to hate and hate to love, it's good to know that we could move. My parents loved the security and did not leave, but I did. So after I graduated from uni last year, I moved to the UK alone. I threw this extravagant Hong Kong themed party to bid my friends and this place goodbye. And I boarded the plane the next day. 13 hours later, I landed and I walked straight through the facial identification gate for British citizens. No one to ask me what I was doing in the country or for a visa to stay. It took me just a few seconds. I crossed the border and I was officially home. But then, what exactly is home? I spent the last two years of my undergrad studying post-colonial theories and Ho- Hong Kong studies. And all those concepts spoke to me as they emphasized the need to make a home of our own making. So there I was in Birmingham doing my dissertation on the ontology of home in a post-colonial, post-modern Hong Kong. And um, my attempt to search for a home went beyond the theoretical context. I found a house with five random housemates and with the hopes of living in a British cottage that I've always dreamt of. <laughs> but instead of a warm, cozy paradise, reality threw me this cold, foggy streets, as if I was being stuck in Silent Hill. And instead of my unrealistic carpeted kitchen that I've always wanted, I had a freezing kitchen with sticky tiled floors and a greasy gas stove. But still, I did the best I could. I covered all the walls with tapestries and fairy lights and I cleaned all the furnitures and until my room looked exactly like those typical room tours. One step closer to being like those English, English girls like I see on YouTube. But one of the many things that gave me away was my accent. So I tried my best to cover it up and get rid of it. So after a while, my OK La turned into Cheers, mate. <laughs> and my annoyed Dima is concealed in a much more British, yeah, it's love. After all the shedding, <laughs> it was the decorating. I'd wake up an extra hour early to cake on layers of foundation that was a shade too pale. And I'd heavily contour my nose and my cheekbones while I let the highlight bake on my chin to look more like my classmates. But the creme de la creme was switching all my classes from post-colonial studies to, yep, you got it, medieval literature, even when I knew nothing about it. If classes were all about sitting there and listening to what the teachers were saying, I could still kind of pull my act together. But the thing is, we had to read a paragraph one by one. So while all my classmates were reading the Chaucer and all those alphabets that I don't even know, I was searching for the pronunciations and the context in Chinese because I didn't want anyone to know how clueless I was. I have no idea what the teachers or my classmates were saying, let alone join their discussions. When I was blabbering all those bullshit in my ridiculous accent, my sober self now know that I couldn't blame my classmates for staring at me weirdly. But at that moment, I could feel that imaginis- imaginary sneer burning into my skin and leaving a mark of shame. I, I was trying so hard to be put in that box, you know. When I see a Chinese student nearby, I'd make sure to walk far away from them so that I wouldn't be categorized as an international student but instead I've wrapped myself up in a cocoon. First, it was just a few threads of embellishing touches, but layers after layers, I had no way out. I felt more Asian than ever. So, in those coldest months in winter, I skipped all my classes, even when I know that I'll fail my courses. But still, I didn't go back to Hong Kong. How could I? For my whole life, I've wanted to leave that place. And I gave up and locked myself in my room that smelled like cup noodles because they were all I ate, the cup noodles that my mom has sent me. I didn't want to get out of my bed or my room because I dreaded the day, even when I know that every day is just the same, me avoiding life. And I also play this game called The Sims where I could build houses and create virtual people. And I actually created um, my childhood home in Hong Kong and my apartment that I was living in. And I built houses after houses and I'd create my friends and the sim version of myself and watch them reunite in the screen. I didn't really realize what I was doing back then until two months and 30 pounds later, my mom finally saw me on Skype. <laughs> she yelled at my Chinese name. She was like, Tan Chien Yang, what are you eating? Is that cheese? And I was like, mom, this is what my mates eat here. And she was like, hmm? And I'm like, my friends, this is what my friends eat: pasta and cheese, it's normal. And my mom said, they are not my daughter, you are my daughter, come back to Hong Kong right now. Well, that actually was what I was waiting for someone to force me to leave that place instead of me being defeated and going back because the truth is Birmingham is not home. So what is home? Am I home yet here in Hong Kong? I am and I am not. Someday I will be home elsewhere, someday when I'm ready. And it took me a while to realize this that I'm not really proud of, but I didn't take my master's degree for the right reason. All I wanted was to figure out who I was and where I really belonged. But what I know is this. Middle English, medieval literature, fuck that.
0: There are times when we could all use someone to tell us, come home right now. The stories told on our stage in Hong Kong are all true first-person stories, told by the people they actually happen to. If you're in Hong Kong, you can get involved too. We run free weekly workshops for any Hong Kongers that want to improve their storytelling techniques. Details on how to join can be found at hongkongstories.com. In May 2018, Hong Kong Stories instigated a new festival called the Hong Kong Spoken Word Festival, and one of the groups who joined us to celebrate everything spoken word was Liars League Hong Kong. In March 2018, we invited them on stage during our live show to give us a taster of what they were going to perform during the festival. Liars League Hong Kong is a quarterly fiction event that's been running for six years. Pieces of flash fiction are globally submitted, locally selected and assigned to actors for an evening of performance and storytelling. This is the story read out in March 2018. It's called A Taste of Heaven and was written by Giles Anderson and performed by Saffron.
2: The first time I saw them was above the farmhouse. I'd been in the barn feeding the herd and thought I was late because the sun was already up. There they were, just above us, faintly glowing. I blinked slowly. But they were still there. The sky was full of feathers. I checked the barn. We hadn't used a manger in about 20 years. Half of it was rotting in that corner. Wise men don't get up this early if they can help it. And I'm sorry to break it to my dad, but I haven't been a virgin for a while now. We could hear them singing, and they had the voices of, well, angels. We tried to get their attention, but they were so far above us that perhaps they didn't hear. We didn't expect it to last. Miracles never do. But after two weeks, they were still up there, gently flapping away and still singing. That's when folks started to complain. Yes, it is a miracle. So blessed are we. Perhaps they could be a little quieter. Such beautiful music but I'm starting to get a headache. At the very least, we were sort of expecting them to come down to earth on a Sunday for a day of rest. Nobody quite knew how to go about lodging a formal complaint or who even to send it to, so Myrna Thorveson wrote a stiffly worded letter to the vicar. Her children were being kept awake at night by all the hosannas. Could he please ask them to confine their choir practice to daylight hours or... Bless several sets of earplugs. The vicar had attempted to make contact first from a stepladder, then the roof of the community center, and finally the spire of the church. He wasn't comfortable with heights. Nevertheless, he clung on and shouted to the occupants of the heavens above. The strong winds carried away his words, and he was relieved to be back on solid ground. I tried, he said with a shrug. Nothing changed. So the vicar wrote to the bishop, the bishop didn't believe in angels, and tried to have the vicar removed. The vicar appealed to the pontiff, who summoned the conclave to determine the status of the creatures. There was some suggestion that they were too low in the air to be heavenly. One senior cleric suggested they were oversized, shaved owls. Whilst the ecclesiastical debate continued, Matthew, the neighboring farmer's nine-year-old son, decided to make an offering. His birthday was soon, and he had his heart set on this red plastic tractor. So he climbed up onto the roof of the barn, ready to offer up a short prayer and most of a bottle of his mom's cooking sherry. The barn roof was not well maintained, and as the boy was about to crash through to this certain death, Impaled on rusting farm implements, a winged creature swooped down and carried him to safety. This time, not just virtue was its own reward. there was also the sherry. The creature looked at the bottle and the boy it had saved. The child mimed drinking, waved, and ran indoors to tell his folks. That night, the angel took a swig and passed the bottle along. There wasn't a lot of room, and they were stacked pretty deep. Some of the flock went astray that night. They came down to earth with a bump and smashed the window of the liquor store. No one was hurt, and the angels found they kind of liked the whiskey. The next day, an inebriated angel fell from the sky, killing Matthew's older brother, Mark, instantly. Mark had just finished feeding the pigs. The creature's wings had both been broken and it thrashed wordlessly, its face a red mask of drunken terror. Matthew and Mark's father, a farmer from a long line of farmers, farmers, shot the creature in the head with a rifle. Perhaps it was to put it out of its misery. Perhaps it was to assuage his own. Though he had been a popular child, Mark's funeral was not well attended. It took place out of town. There was no choir to speak of. As the funeral cortege made its slow, sad progress back to the farm, the hearse-led domino line of limousines stalled as the procession came under attack from above. A heaven-sent mob had armed themselves with head-sized stones to avenge their fallen brother. Under bombardment, close family and friends abandoned the vehicles for the relative safety of the farmhouse. The buffet and ham salad had been ransacked in reprisal for their disposal of the offending angel in the incinerator. All the while, the choir perpetually poured forth their hails and hosannas. The next day, His remaining family safe in the storm cellar, the farmer gathered his friends and set to work transforming a disused barn which had little to recommend itself other than proximity and access to the nearby highway. Unlike their earthbound foe, the angels, having run out of rocks, drifted away to resume their place amongst the host. The farmer and friends worked long into the night. At dawn, the people of the village met in the church. The creatures above them had ceased hostilities, but their wings cast a long shadow over the building and its occupants. They isn't people, was the first point of the farmer's argument. And they ain't angels, unless the church says so, was his second. The vicar offered no contradiction. They're a public nuisance, said Myra Thorverson in her best hat. Vermin, came another voice from the crowd. I'm not sure what I thought. They didn't speak, but they looked like people, people with wings. If they could have talked, I think things would have been different. It wasn't a huge leap of faith or logic to the farmer's next point. If they weren't people and they weren't angels, well, then they must be animals. And the farmer knew exactly what to do with livestock. A taste of heaven opened its doors a few weeks ago, and already their burgers are incredibly popular. (laughs) Even knowing where they come from, people can't get enough of them, and they are albeit not literally, flying out the door. 100% meat is their claim. And if anyone thinks that logo of a golden halo above a bun is in poor taste, they have kept it to themselves. Until the conclave had reached a verdict, the state of the angels is ambiguous and vulnerable. In the meantime, the farmer is drawing up plans for a slaughterhouse. The angels, if that is what they actually are, make no attempt to move or to avoid their fate. Sometimes one of them will get their hands on some liquor and there'll be some trouble. I've not eaten at that restaurant yet though many in the village have, I drove down there and I was going to go in, but I saw a figure out back, hunched and rooting through the bins. He was only caught in my headlights for a moment before flying away, but he no longer glowed. His blonde hair and feathers were matted with filth, and the only trace he'd been there at all was a half-eaten burger in the dirt and a wrapper fluttering in the breeze.
0: Liars League Hong Kong can be contacted through their Facebook page where you can find submission details and information on their upcoming performances. Hong Kong Stories may be found at hongkongstories.com Special thanks go out this week to Edward who took care of all the storytellers in the October show. We appreciate all your work, Edward. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.